If you are new to Element, welcome. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the left-hand side, you'll get a half-page recap of what we talk about today. On the right-hand side, you'll get some questions to ask your friends, your family, your gospel community about, to reflect on what we talk about. On the back, there are the verses we are going through today. And on the bottom, there's a place to take notes. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Once you download it, it just says Bible. And in there, uh, you'll, you'll click on more than you mentioned by GPS. will come up, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is James 3, verses 17 and 18, and it says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Uh, Father, this morning we ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who live in your wisdom, uh, that we would walk with you and we would trust you and the things that you have said and the places that you lead us, and we in the end would be a people who are those who make peace and live in peace because you've led us in those directions. So we ask that you would teach us today. Amen. Have a seat. So we are going through the New Testament book of James. This is week 12. You guys got to be really proud of me at this point because we spent eight weeks in chapter one. We spent two weeks in chapter two. We're only spending two weeks in chapter three, two weeks in chapter four. And I have a lot of notes, so we could have really spent double this in here, but, but I'm not, so you're welcome. James's book is moving in a trajectory. It is moving forward. So if you've been here for all of it, great. If not, you can grab and listen to those online. But the book continues to move forward as we talk about persecution and faith and trusting God and what it looks like to live that out in our lives in very practical ways. That our faith is not just to be heard, it's also to be seen with our hands and our feet and what we do. Uh, last week, we talked about about the issue of our tongues and what we say and how our words will show the depth of our faith, what we really believe. And we looked at sometimes the venom of the words that we say can even be a blessing to us because it shows us the reality of our hearts. That when we hear the words we say, we're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Well, that's a grace from God many times to realize, yes, we shouldn't speak that way. We shouldn't say these things. And it leads us back to laying ourselves before God for our salvation. Many times what happens is if we perceive something Something in our life that becomes our identity and that thing gets threatened, we will lash out. And this is why we must be a people who always come back to understand that it is Christ that we love, that Jesus has rescued us. Our identity is found in Him and not the things around us. What we need to see ultimately is that our worth comes from Jesus alone, that it can never be taken from us. Jesus does not love some future version of you. I mean, He does love the future version of you, but He loves you here and now and just not who you are going to become. He loves you now. And understanding these truths gives us the ability to live out our faith in the world in ways that reflect His goodness and the goodness of God and, that, and, that, and it moves us away from a place of fear that so many people want to live in. We live in truth and hope and grace. So James is now going to take all the words that he has said and move us now to the wisdom of God, what this brings about. And you can, there is maybe two points today in this message, but maybe not. We're just going to talk about wisdom from below and wisdom from above. This idea of what wisdom actually brings in our life and what wisdom is. Uh, J.I. Packer, when he talks 
talks about wisdom. He says, he says it's like a mass transit system, and he refers it to like a British railway system. Now, you live in Santa Maria, and you have no idea what that's like, because the only train you see is out the Amtrak out in Guadalupe, or if you're driving down Blosser and that produce one goes across, you're like, ah, curse you, produce train. I don't know if you ever experienced, but that's what happens. That's the only way we know about what a train looks like. But G.I. Packers talks about it. He goes, in a city with a railway system, if you want to see what's going on, you end up in this place called a signal box. And in the signal box, you see all the lights of where the trains are going, why they're stopped, what's moving tracks, and where everything is looking towards. Like, oh, I understand everything. And he says, so many people think that wisdom is being in God's signal box, but that's not wisdom. This is, this is what he writes. People who think this is what wisdom is, imagine that if they walk close enough to God, they will be in God's signal box and will understand everything that happens. Such people are always analyzing the events of life, why this or that happened, whether specific happenings are signed to stop, park on a siding, or go ahead. When they are confused, they suppose themselves to have a spiritual problem. It is true. God sometimes uses unusual signs to conform the way we should go by, but this is very different from getting a message from every unusual thing that comes our way. And so what he says is, wisdom from God is not a signal box. Wisdom from God is really more like driving a car. And when you drive a car, there are certain things that happen and come your way, and wisdom teaches us how to work in those events that come our way. Like, it's a, it's a changing scene, uh, braking, or talking about distance, or how fast you should go, or how do you enter the roundabout. Let me tell you, uh, if you're going right, you're in the right lane. If you're going through, you go in the left lane. Roundabout should almost never have to stop. Okay. <laughs> You, you don't fret over why an engineer makes you get off the freeway on the other side and swing back around, or why there's an S-curve, or why that person in front of you has their brakes on and yet they're accelerating. It's because they're driving an automatic with two feet. You only use one. I'm going to just fix all your driving habits today. With wisdom from God. Okay, anyway. So it's, you look at what's coming and you make, because when it comes your way, you trust God in these events. You, you trust God when things come your way, knowing what to do in those things because you know what God has first said. This is what he says. You simply see and try to do the right thing in the actual situation that presents itself. The effect of divine wisdom is to enable you and me to do just that in the actual situations of life. So when you drive, you look at the road, you use common sense. To live, live wisely means we have our eyes open. And when life comes our way. We read the things that God has said in the scriptures. We trust the leading of his spirit. We don't have to have the answer to everything because we know God who holds everything in his hands and we simply start to live the way that he calls us to in the world. Being wise does not mean that you're going to understand everything that goes on. What it means is we will do the right thing as life comes along. And there are some drivers who know all the rules of the road and they are terrible drivers. And there are other people who know almost no rules of the road and they are great drivers because they drive more in wisdom. Uh, Kent Hughes writes that wisdom, when we understand it, will bring about four things in our lives. The first one is reverence. Reverence. Proverbs 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, it brings us to a place where we see who God is. We trust God for who he is, that God is holy and good and righteous and awesome and loving and sovereign, that there is a deep respect for who he is. And this brings us to the doorway of wisdom. As a people from the culture in which we are, many times this is hard for us to understand because our culture is so inward facing. We look so much at ourselves all the time. We are 
taught and groomed to focus inward, whether it's American individuality or it's the new progressive movement, which is take care of me. Everything is really geared and revolves around us. And we have to come to a place where we acknowledge that we are finite and that our desires do not rule the world. And we do a terrible job of even navigating our own lives and our own loves. And that there can be no wisdom apart from seeing a vision of God and his glory and how that then enters our lives with our own contrasting smallness. And this is again why the book of James goes the way that it does. He keeps walking us forward to understand who we are and then who God is. And many times I lament today because Christians, in our desire to be relevant in the world around us, we have minimized the awesomeness of God and we have maximized falsely our own selves and our virtues and our own importance. And we need to truly see God who he is, which will make us a humble people. And a humble people become receptive to God's wisdom. Proverbs 11.2 says, with humility comes wisdom. And so wisdom leads us to reverence. The second thing wisdom leads us to, he says, is a conversion, where we are converted from our own lives to trust in him. We are born again. We surrender to him. The, the scriptures call this being in Christ. The apostle Paul will use that phrase 161 times in the scriptures, and it indicates a relationship with God through Christ, through conversion and salvation. In respect to wisdom, believers are called, 1 Corinthians 1.30, we are in Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God. And so we are told that all of God's wisdom resides in Christ. And so when we are in relationship with Christ, we have access to that wisdom. We become rooted in His wisdom. We believe that He is right about everything. That's what we know. A true relationship with Christ brings God's wisdom to us and opens up to real wisdom. So wisdom brings reverence, and it brings a conversion. The third thing it leads us to is the scriptures, that God wrote the scriptures in a way that brings us wisdom. The scriptures constantly repeat that they are wisdom from God. The apostle Paul, one of the smartest people who ever lived, in my estimation, tells us, Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17, let the word of Christ uh, richly dwell within you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. If we want to be, spend and live a life in wisdom, we read the Scriptures. We trust what the Scriptures say. We think about God's Word. Ask yourself this question. How often or how much time do you spend with the Bible versus maybe your favorite phone app? Wordle. Words with friends. You know, I, don't know, I don't know what it is. I look at the Bible app all the time. Okay, well, we'll just set you aside. But you know, you know what I'm talking about. How much time do you spend with all these other things and not in the Word of God? Do you give the Word of God as much time and attention as you give everything else? One now dead writer says this, What fools we will be and so remain all of our lives. We do not take the time to avail ourselves of God's wisdom. And where is this wisdom found? It's found in the Word of God. So what you have is reverence, conversion, scripture, and then wisdom leads us to a relationship with God in prayer, in prayer. James starts by telling us, chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Well, that's prayer. That's prayer. Who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. God always keeps his words. He always keeps his words. You ask him for wisdom, he will bring wisdom into your life. But the question for us becomes, as James keeps going on, will we live in that wisdom that God brings to us? 
And see, living in wisdom, it actually does require something of us. And this is called humility. The root of wisdom, as you see throughout the scriptures, is a profound understanding of the greatness of God and the smallness of who we are. Because that brings about a humility in us, which will have us then live in the wisdom of God. Open your Bibles to James chapter 3. That was my intro. You're welcome. Page 655 if you have an element Bible. So wisdom and humility are so interrelated in the scriptures that no one can be considered wise who is not also humble. So you've got to put those things together. And this goes to how James starts his section with a question. James chapter 3, verse 13. Here's the question. Who is wise and understanding among you? And unless you think you're like, oh, oh, me, me, I got... He answers it for you. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So James doesn't let us off the hook of where he's been talking about, that we live out our lives, we say we love Christ, our lives are going to be lived in a certain way that reflect who Jesus is by how we live. And now he goes into wisdom. You claim to be wise? Okay, show me by how you actually live your life. Show me. Just like you're, you say you have faith, you live a certain way, well, wisdom is the same thing. You can't say you're wise and live like a dummy, which goes to verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. And what's the truth? That you aren't wise if you are selfish, if you have bitter jealousy. Most likely, James is referring to here these false teachers we talked about last week who kind of came into these churches and they thought they knew more than everybody else. They kind of put everybody else down. This is, James will call this false wisdom or wisdom from below in just a moment. But these people who tear one another down because you're not as moral as me, you're not as good as me, you're not as religious as me, you don't have it put together as much as I do. I know it sounds like politicians, but it's, he's talking about people in these churches. James is trying to bring not just them, but all of us to a place where we walk into reality and we say, yes, real wisdom is shown by two things. The first one is, he says, by his good conduct. Conduct. This can be translated as a good life or a noble or beautiful life. And the second thing he says is his works in the meekness of wisdom. This would be deeds done in humility. In humility. Because again, wisdom comes from humility. Again, it shows our lack of humbleness is the truest sign of whether we're walking with Jesus or not. And why this is why you understand wisdom brings us to the place of reverence, conversion, scripture, and prayer. It keeps coming back to this. Now, when you read the word in, in the Bible, meekness or, or humbleness, a lot of people think that means weakness in our lives. And that is not a word that refers to us being weak. Uh, Moses was considered the most humble man who ever lived. He even said so himself. He wrote it down and said, Moses was the most humble man who ever lived. Moses. I don't know how that works. But anyway, and he led the Israelites against one of the largest armies of his day. Jesus was not weak. Jesus goes to a brutal death for us of his own volition, of his own choice. And yet he says, Matthew eleven twenty nine, I am gentle. That's the word for meek and lowly in heart. Humbleness does not mean cowardice or a lack of confidence. In classical Greek, the word meant a tamed animal or a soothing medicine or a mild word or a gentle breeze. One writer says this, it's a word with a caress in it. When John Wycliffe translated, he translated this word as mild. Now, you know in the future, all restaurants will be Taco Bell. And, and you go to, <laughs> see anybody got the, the reference? Anyway, uh, 
So you, you go to Taco Bell, right? And what do they have? They have like mild sauce and hot sauce and fire sauce and I don't know, melt your face off sauce. It just, it just keeps going. But mild sauce, if you don't like Taco Bell, almost anybody can have that mild sauce. Why? Because it's not there to burn your face off. It's like, oh, I'm going to make this taste better. And that's that. it's the idea of, oh, this is something we, we don't come in hot and heavy. We're not always like, oh, you got to turn or burn it. We, we come in meek and mild and loving and full of grace. The test James gives for those who are walking in wisdom is, are you gentle? Are you mild? Are you, are you not like the fire sauce, but are you like the mild sauce that people can actually get in dealing with other people? Are you salt and light in the world? That's what he's asking about. The wise know that God is in control. They know they are redeemed. And what that means is they don't need to manipulate other people through fear or through anger or through intimidation. What we do is we can meet any and every challenge that comes into our lives with the gentle assurance that God will always bring about his intended good. And that enables us to not freak out in the world that we are in. Now, James does show what false wisdom brings. He says bitter jealousy. Uh, literally, that is a harsh zeal because that's not mild. That's coming in hot. Harsh zeal and a selfish ambition in your heart. This is you cannot stand to see anybody else get something you think you deserve. Someone get ahead of you in the world. How dare they get that thing that I want? How dare someone give them a compliment? I should get that compliment. People should see all the wonderful things that I am doing. Jealousy makes it impossible to cheer for anyone else because you are at the center of your own life. There's this old story where two men live in a certain city and one man is very jealous of the other man. And so it's causing so much strife. The ruler of the city brings them in and he says, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give both of you one wish fulfilled. The caveat is though, the first person who asks, I will give the second person twice what the first person asked for. And so he looks at the envious man and he says, now you get to go first. Now the envious man is like, what am I going to do? If I ask for a million dollars, he's going to get two. If I ask for a house, he'll get two. If I ask for a car, he'll get two. What do I do? So eventually he says, I want you to gouge out one of my eyes. So the other guy would have to lose two. Now the other guy gets a wish, right? He can be like, I don't want to lose my eyes. So the other guy just loses his eye. I don't know if it's a real story or not, okay? I don't know. I don't know why people would do this. But this is what happens so often in our world. We get so envious of other people that we hurt ourselves rather than wanting good to come to somebody else. And again, you can always talk about politics in this because there are politicians today who would rather hurt our country than do what is good for everyone. It's like if someone across the aisle proposes something that makes total common sense, it doesn't, they're like, no, I'm going to vote no. It's like crazy. We are, what is that, cutting off your arm to... There you go. See, you know what I'm talking about. So James calls this wisdom from below. Wisdom from below. Verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. There's a descending order of what he talks about. It is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And again, I know it's easy to point this out on politicians, but I got to tell you, every single one of us does this. This wisdom is unspiritual. What it is, is our bad advice. It is not based on what the scriptures teach us about being what? About being mild, about being meek, about being humble. What it is, is it's self-centered. It's all about us. What does our wisdom say? Well, if someone hurts you, don't go and offer them reconciliation and forgiveness. Get revenge. 
or just push them out of your life altogether. Don't let anyone take advantage of you. And if someone does, we'll get that thing back. Destroy the competition. What does our wisdom produce? Bitter envy, selfish ambition, proud boasting. All of our wisdom, when it's not found in God, goes towards ourselves. And then we start to say, well, this is just the way that is. This is how the world works. This is it. And Jesus comes in and he goes, no. And James comes in and he says, no. When someone says that meekness is unmanly or unwomanly or the wise must always have the last word, that only results in going down, metaphorically speaking. The NIV here will use the word envy, where here it says, you know, jealousy in this, but it's all the same thing. Do you know one of the words that came out of World War II was this word called snafu? And it means situation normal, all fouled up. That's like how the world is today. It's like our normal situation where, like, where everything's all fouled up because we keep walking in our own wisdom and we think that's normal. Later, after World War II, they changed that to FUB, which means fouled up beyond belief. Now we have FUBAR, and I'm not going to translate what that means for you. But that's what wisdom from below brings. And so James's message is simple. In the family of God, in the church, for these people, there is no pride. There should be no envy. There should be no selfish ambition. The Apostle Paul tells us the fruits of God's Spirit, Ephesians, or Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Jesus promises that when we walk with Him, we, we become yoked with Him, together with Him. We are bound to Him. And when we do, we will start to live in wisdom that brings meekness because of that humility. And we will find rest for our weary souls. And when they are self-focused and we keep going down, they become so tired all the time. This is why wisdom leads us to reverence, conversion, scripture, and prayer. And this is why James will now translate, transition to wisdom from above. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So let's, let's talk about these. I'll spend a little bit of time on these. So first off, pure. Pure has the sense of being undefiled. Now, if you know anything about your life or my life, we have all been defiled. I like to liken this to pickles because pickles are evil. If, if my wife and I go out to eat and I get a hamburger and there's a pickle on the hamburger, I'm like, oh, my wife says, oh, you can just pick it off. And I say, that's because you like pickles. Because I don't like pickles. If you are like me and you don't like pickles, a pickle, when it touches them, everything becomes infected by the pickle. Right? Okay. No, it's good. That's because you like pickles. The only way to get rid of the pickle taste on your hamburger is to get a whole new hamburger. Send it back. Ask them not to spit on it. And get a whole new hamburger. That's what you need. Because pickles are evil. You know, I like to say you guys like to heckle me. I appreciate that. Okay. When there is sin in us, it is like pickle juice. How do you get rid of the pickle juice? You need a whole new burger. This is why we are called to be a people who become born again. Christ comes. He renews us. He remakes us. He gets that pickle juice out. And he makes us new. The only way that we become pure is from the gospel of Jesus Christ of his rescuing of us, that we have been cleansed by Christ's blood, who is himself pure. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Purify yourselves as he is pure, meaning it comes from him. True wisdom has hearts that are sincerely devoted to God for God himself. 
See, people who have earthly wisdom, what we do is we think God is about us. We think that the thing that God loves most in the world is me. And that leads us to a place where we say, well, there is no right and wrong. It's my preference of whatever I feel like I need to do, and God's behind me, and God's going to support me, whatever I want to do. That is not pure. That is selfish. That is selfish. And we are called, first of all, to be pure. Secondly, it then goes into peaceable. Peaceable. Some translations will translate this as peace-loving. And what that means is, as God's people, we love peace. We love peace. It does not mean we run from conflict. Uh, there is this story of an old couple who have been married like 50 years. Someone says, what's the, the secret to success of your marriage? And the guy says, well, my wife and I got married. We decided that whenever she was angry, she would just tell me. And whenever I got angry, I'd go for a long walk. And so the secret to our success is I have largely lived an outdoor life. <laughs> That's not peace-loving, though. It is not. I know today we think that it is. We run from the conflict, but that's not what James is talking about. In Ephesians 2.14, we are told that Jesus is our peace. We are a people who long for peace. That doesn't mean we don't make waves when the honor of God or the truth of the Bible is at stake, but we are not just there to cause chaos. We're not just there to vent our frustration. We are there to long for people to see the goodness and the grace of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Romans 14.19, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Peace loving. And then the next word he goes to is gentle. Gentle, it can also be translated as considerate or calm. It is said there is no word in English to actually translate this word correctly. It describes the kind of person who when they are wrong, though they have the ability to lash out, they have that right, they still don't. It is a person who makes allowances for the weaknesses and the ignorance of others around them without looking down on them for said ignorance. It takes the kindest perspective possible. The Jerusalem Bible translates this word as kindly. Now, I've just gone through three of the ones that James has. Are you feeling overwhelmed a little bit yet? How am I supposed to do all this? You're supposed to trust Christ and allow His righteousness to be placed upon you because on our own, we're never going to do it on our own. We just simply can't. How do I become wise? We trust Christ. Reverence, conversion, scripture, prayer. He goes next one, open to reason. Open to reason. Now, if you have an NIV, it will translate this word as submissive, but that's not really where this goes, especially in our culture, we misunderstand that. But open to reason is much more for our modern ears. In the Old Testament, there is this story of a woman named Abigail. We're actually talking about her next summer. That's how far out, I think. So anyway, uh, she has a knucklehead for a husband, which is like, I know, a lot of husbands are knuckleheads, I get that. Uh, King David is trying to do this kindness that he wants to do, and this guy is having none of it. So David goes, he's like, I'll just settle this a different way, and he takes his soldiers out, and he's going to skewer this guy to get rid of him. Abigail hears about this, and she goes, and she actually stops David from doing this, and she is reasonable in front of him, and she speaks to him, and David so becomes reasonable. David responds by saying, 1 Samuel 25, verses 32 and 33, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Because Abigail was reasonable, David became reasonable. And we are called to be a people who are open to reason, who are reasonable. 
There's this old biography of Abraham Lincoln's life called Team of Rivals. And it's all about how when he became president, he put all of his rivals into his cabinet because he didn't want people just to be yes men. Oh, you're the greatest. Oh, you're so wonderful. I know any modern president, they only have yes men in their cabinets. But he wanted people who would disagree with him, people that he could trust not to just say yes because he wanted it to happen. So on one occasion, Abraham Lincoln, in order to please a certain politician, he issues a command to move certain soldiers around. When Secretary of War Edward Stanton heard about the order, he refused it. He said it was a foolish order. And so someone asked Lincoln about it. And this is Lincoln's response. If Stanton said, I'm a fool, then I must be, for he is nearly always right. I will go see for myself. So they meet. And Stanton says, this is why it's foolish. And Abraham Lincoln's like, you're right. That's foolish. And he rescinds the order. How odd is that today? I mean, how odd is that? Now, he didn't always agree with Stanton on everything, but there were places, and he was open to reason. That's who we are called to be as God's people, open to reason. We are on the wrong path of wisdom if we are never willing to change our mind. Think about this. If you're married and you fight with your spouse, okay, open to reason. Be willing to change your mind sometimes in the midst of that. Maybe at work with your boss or a coworker or your friendships. Open to reason. We must be open to reason. Then he says, full of mercy and good fruit. He ties these two things together because James really is like an unrelenting moral theologian and he ties these together. If we're not full of mercy, our lives are not going to be full of good fruit. So that's what he's saying. Then he goes into impartial. The word impartial means steady, steady. You're not tossed about by everything that comes at you. This is especially you are steady and trusting God's word. And so we step back and we ask certain things. Hey, is this true before you post it on social media? Maybe. Uh, wisdom from above operates with a consistent view of God's truth being the truth. I told you a couple weeks ago there is a study that was done. And what it showed was that we as a people, we will react to a video, a soundbite, or a picture. And then we will create what is true based upon just that without ever getting the facts. And everybody kind of makes their mind up about it. And then maybe three weeks, four weeks later, a full video comes out, a full soundbite comes out, and you hear what is actually being said and what is actually going on. But nobody changes their mind at that point because we already made up our mind. Why? Because we're not impartial. Because we're not steady. We as God's people should be the most steady in the world. We must take a step back and be impartial and willing to hold a view of the truth that is true. Thoreau once said this, a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds, where we hold on to foolishness. We are called to be those who look for the truth, who wait for the truth, who don't just react to something that comes our way. We wait to see where God leads us in his wisdom. And the last word in this is sincere. And sincere means without hypocrisy. And it is true that so many people, including Christians, are not what they seem. True wisdom teaches us that God loves us. We do not have to pretend to be something that we are not. We are God's children, and that's what we are. We don't have to have any feigned sincerity, no pretense. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12 says, Our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. Because this is what wisdom brings. James wraps this whole thing up. Verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Where does this wisdom keep pushing us towards? The idea of that peace, that peace. And that line right there is actually a proverb in James's day, that righteousness cannot be uh, produced in a climate of bitterness. It just can't. Righteousness can only grow in a climate of peace. And so James walks us through what these things of wisdom look like. Now, what I want to do is I want to give you a real-world example of worldly wisdom. 
my wife and I, we like sci-fi. It's nice being married to a geek like me. She's not as geeky as me. She's way more cool than I am. But anyway, we will think it. So we watched this show on AMC called The Terror. It's called The Terror. It's about this Royal uh, Navy Rear Admiral Sir John Franklin. He takes 138 specialized soldiers and people to go and sail with him. And they left England in 1845 to find what's called the Northwest Passage. Now, the show is mainly fiction, okay? The only thing in the show itself that is historical is people's names and the names of the ships. That's it. Everything else is fiction. But anyway, this story is really this idea of worldly wisdom. So in 1845, Sir John Franklin and these men set out on these two ships. One of them is called the Erebus, which means the dark place. It's the where you go where your souls pass before you go to Hades. And the other ship is called the Terror, hence the name of the show. So here's the thing. Each ship uh, came equipped with an auxiliary steam engine, and they only put in these ships a 12-day supply of coal. Now, the journey is going to take them two to three years. Instead of loading additional coal, you know what they did? What they, what they did was they loaded a 1,200-volume library, an organ, because we all got to have an organ, uh, a full place settings uh, with china and cut glass goblets and sterling flatware with tables because what they wanted to do is on these ships make a Royal Officers Navy Club on each of these ships so that they could have their comforts of home. They actually said this, the Franklin Expedition stood on its dignity. These proud Englishmen, they took on the expedition their uniforms and greatcoats and that's it. Like, you're going to the Arctic, right? What are you going to want? A parka. A parka. So the ships sell off. They got pomp and glory. Two months later, they run past a British whaler in Lancaster Sound. That one goes back. Oh, they're in high spirits. That is the last English person to ever see them alive. What they do is they get there, and the whole thing just falls apart. And for decades after it, they keep sending ships to find out what happened to these people. Search parties year after year. They find natives. I've seen some of these guys trying to tow tugboats across the ice. They find the remains of 35 men at a place called Starvation Cove. They find another 30 bodies at a place called Terror Bay. You go to Simpson Strait, you can still see at that time the mass still sticking out of the ice. For 20 years, search parties go out into the frozen waste and they start finding these things. And what they finally happened out was 12 years later, they learned that Admiral Franklin died aboard his ship and as soon as he finally died, the other guy's like, we need to go get some help. We've been here a while. And so they set off. But what did they take with them? They took their sterling silver flatware. They took their books. They took all these things that they did not need, unless you're going to eat the books, I guess. <laughs> they took all these things. The officers' remains that they found were still dressed in their fine button blue uniforms with scarves tied around their necks because they wouldn't leave it behind. This is worldly wisdom where we keep doubling down on the thing that we think is going to fix it all. And many times we double down on our worldly wisdom, we make it worse and worse and worse. This, this whole expedition accomplished absolutely nothing except showing poor wisdom. And guys, you may think, this is my life. All my life shows is everything we talked about today, I'm none of the godly stuff, I'm all the worldly stuff. But you know what? Your life's not over. You don't have to be like this expedition. You might, you might have skeletons scattered all over your life, and yet the beauty is, is that God can take all of that and use it to bring himself glory as he draws you back to himself and shows you what true wisdom looks like. Because this, even though it was a whole failure, it is also universally agreed. It is the turning point in Arctic exploration. 
all these people, I mean, for there were dozens and dozens of ships from America and Europe that tried to find these people. And after they looked for them, they actually found the Northwest Passage. One writer says this, Similarly, the shipwreck of worldly wisdom ought to motivate us to seek wisdom from above so we can wisely navigate through life. You can take all of the failures you've been through your, in your entire life and that can lead you to the place of understanding the grace of God. It can lead you to a place of reverence, conversion, scripture, and prayer. This is what James has in mind when he contrasts these two kinds of wisdom. Our worldly wisdom, it is full of skeletons. It is full of bad decisions and doubling down on our bad decisions. Think of some of the arguments you have with the people you love most in your life. And sometimes it's like, man, I shouldn't have said that, but you don't ask for forgiveness. You don't apologize. You just keep doubling down. Maybe if I just get angrier. Maybe if I just do this. Maybe you're someone who keeps dating the same kind of person and it keeps ending up the same way because you keep dating the same kind of person. Worldly wisdom. Maybe you're trying to make money a certain way and you keep doubling down as it destroys everybody around you. Guys, worldly wisdom leaves a strewn skeletons everywhere in our lives. And yet, that is not the end of our lives. God comes to those places where we have shown just horrible wisdom and he calls us back to himself. And we can and get to be a people who walk with him, who grow in him, in reverence, conversion, scripture, and prayer. Yes, there are a lot of things that godly wisdom brings, but it comes as God brings them to us, as we trust in Christ for what he has done. This is why it's not just, I got to do all these wisdom things, and then God will love me. I got to do all these wisdom things, and then my skeletons go away. No, what we do is we come to Christ. And we trust him for his grace that has been given to us. In the gospel, he gives his life for all of our worldly wisdom. All the places that we have run from him. He takes our sin upon himself and he gives us his righteousness. He takes our death. We are that rotting skeleton and he gives us his life. That's the gospel. And out of that comes the wisdom that he brings as we walk with him in reverence, in conversion, studying the scriptures, prayer, relationship with him. He leads and guides us to the place of real wisdom. And it's not something we can ever do or figure out. It comes from resting solely in him and his strength. And it is beautiful that he loves us, that he restores us to himself. And this is one of the reasons every week we take you to a place of communion. Communion is the reminder of what Christ did to bring us to himself through all of our worldly wisdom. He still takes and draws us to himself. And when you take communion, this is a place to remember, wow, this right here, this is a place of wisdom that God has brought me to himself. And I am surrendering my life to him. Because you know what that is? That's wise. That's wise. We stop doubling down on ourselves and we start trusting him. That's why you break the cracker like Christ's body was broken. And you drink the grape juice, reminding us simply that his blood was shed for us to bring us to himself that we get to be a people who can live in the wisdom he calls us to. If you need prayer, maybe you're in a place today where you've spent your entire life running towards ungodly wisdom and you just keep doubling down and you want someone to pray with you and talk about it, grab Sarah at the Welcome Center. We do have people who are here to pray for you and with you and she will connect you with them. We are people who give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. We don't pass a plate at Element. It's always a response to what God has done. But we give because God is generous. Worldly wisdom says, don't give. But wisdom from above says, we give. We become a generous people because God has been generous with us. 
And then take those sermon notes and grab those questions and talk to your friends, your family, your gospel community about those things. What does it look like to truly begin to live in wisdom? Where do you double down in your life on your own false wisdom? And where can we surrender all that we are to him so we begin to walk in the wisdom that he provides? Because it's grace and it's goodness. And God loves us more than we can ever imagine. And God loves us exactly as we are. And he will move us and take us to places that we have never even imagined when we walk and trust in his wisdom. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would take us and move us to be a people who understand better who you are calling us to be in Christ. That we would understand the reality of what the gospel actually brings to our lives. That the gospel is not about condemnation. The gospel is about liberation. And if we are honest enough about the wisdom that we tend to run after in our lives, it simply only brings us down lower and lower. Earthly, unspiritual, demonic, it just keeps going down. And yet because you or the one who was condemned for us, you liberate us in the gospel. And you bring us back to yourself. So we can be those who live in and for you. Father, I ask that you would teach us as we look through something like the book of James, and it seems like there's a lot of do, 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 do. I ask that you'd remind us that all those things that we start to live out only come because of first who we are in you. That the doing comes out of our being. And our being is redeemed and restored, loved children of God because of your rescue given to us. And so I ask you to teach us to move our eyes off of ourselves, off of what we think is our own wisdom, and to look towards you in reverence, that we would be converted to surrender all we are to you, that we would go to your scriptures, that we would pray and speak with you and walk with you every day of our life. And in so doing, you grow us to be a people who walk and live in your wisdom. Father, I ask that you would teach us to be those who trust all that we are to you. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen. And Mikey closes the curtains as he does. Take a couple moments and just think about this. In your life, what is the ungodly wisdom, the worldly wisdom that you run towards? What are the things that you hold on to? The things that don't bring peace, but bring division. The things that don't grow you closer to Christ, but actually pull you further away from Him. What are those things? And honestly name them. And understand that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you can face those things when you make poor decisions, knowing that you still have a great and wonderful salvation in Christ. We can face our terrible decisions because they in the end do not own us. Christ owns us. So ask, God, show me right now, where am I running towards my own wisdom and not yours? And teach me to trust you. Lay that down before him. Come and take communion. Sing a couple songs with us. Worship God for being who he is. 
our glorious and great God who has saved and rescued us from all of our worldly wisdom. And he continues to restore. Uh, Next week we'll talk about this thing where he offers more grace. Why? Because we need it. (laughs) That's why. Let's be a people who understand that grace and that goodness and the great hope that God places within us.